This is Earn More Tutoring, the ultimate crowdsourced education entrepreneurship show. This week, I speak with Rose Lounsbury. Rose and I talk about the importance of cultivating gratitude, how she managed to grow a successful business while raising triplets, and the excruciating decision to let go of teaching and pursue her vision of simplicity coaching. So I start moving forward for several months with this belief that, okay, next school year, I'm going to have this awesome part-time position where I'm going to come in two and a half days a week. It'll give me two and a half days to do the mom thing. Got my kids in a preschool that would coincide with the times. And then it was spring break, right before spring break, it, it went across my superintendent's desk and he just completely vetoed the plan and said, no way, we don't do this here. So my body is like reacting to this stress of having to make this decision. Like, do I step out of my career or do I, do I go in full time? Welcome, Rose. Thanks, Sean. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So just to start, I would love to hear about your different offerings and business just to um, share with the audience so they know what you do. Absolutely. So I am a simplicity coach, which basically means that I help people live happier lives with less stuff. And so the things that I offer are ways for people to delve into a life of simplicity, start letting go of their excess things, start feeling more freedom and peace of mind. And so I have a membership program that's called the Monthly Min, where we meet once a month and I guide people through about an hour-long class where we talk about one aspect of simplicity. And then throughout the month, the members of the group hold each other accountable for setting an intention and doing a check-in and a reflection. And then I also have a six-week decluttering boot camp type class, and it's called the Less Method, which is my four-step decluttering method. And I teach that three times a year in the fall, the winter, and the spring. And our goal in that class is to really focus on six different areas of your home. We focus on your bathroom, your clothing, your kitchen, your paperwork, shared spaces that you might share with your family and your storage, which includes memorabilia. So in that class, we have once a week, we meet for about an hour, we focus on the area, and then you make progress throughout the week. And then I also offer personal coaching for people who want a more personalized experience where we would meet just one-on-one twice a month on Zoom and focus on your personal journey, where you want to go. And we delve um, into the clutter, the physical stuff, but also into the emotional attachments that we all have unique emotional attachments to our stuff, which which I'm sure we'll talk about in this podcast. So that's the other thing that I offer. And I do a lot of speaking events as well. So I love keynote speaking and workshops. So I do a lot of that for companies and organizations and conferences. So those are my my offerings and what I do and how I try to help the world. I also have a book. Um, It's called Less Minimalism for Real that anybody can get on Amazon or get it on your Kindle. And I have a TEDx talk as well that's on YouTube. It's called How Many Towels Do You Need? So if you just need some inspiration and you've got about 10 minutes, that would be a really great way to sort of get you started thinking about minimalism and simplicity and how it could benefit your life. Yeah, I love I love the pun too, the monthly men. Um, <laughs> Thanks for catching that. People don't always get that. They're like, you mean like a minute? I'm like, no, like minimalism, monthly minimalism. Yeah. Right, right. I love, but it's like a minimalist amount of meetings a month too. It's just one, right? It's not like yeah. four times a day. Yeah. So it's perfect. It, it, it's, it's a triple entendre or something. Um, so Rose, thank you for sharing that. And tell us about how did you get into this? Were you always... Uh, a minimalist? Did you, you know, did you, what, what led you into this path of really um, helping the world declutter and be more organized and, and uh, reduce their towels and, you know, this, this, this work? Yeah. I'd love to I know. was motivated to help the re- world reduce their towels. It's just been my life's goal. <laughs> uh, no. So my journey to, to simplicity and minimalism really is a personal journey, a personal story. So my background like yours is as an educator. So I was a middle school English teacher and I also have children and they're triplets. And so my stories of my journey to minimalism really starts when they're about two years old. And I was teaching full time. And as you know, that's a a really intense job. I had to be at work by seven. Contractually, I had to be there at seven because the bell rang at 7.10 for my middle schoolers to come in, which is just an ungodly hour for 12 and 13 year olds. But that was the schedule of the school. So I worked from about seven to four at my teaching job. About four o'clock, I got home and I clocked into my second job of being a mom to three two-year-olds at the time. And, you know, 
you have a two-year-old. We were just talking about your two-year-old before we hit record. So yes, you can imagine, multiply her by three, right? It's not easy. And so I spent- God bless you. Uh, well, God gives us <laughs> oh what we can God. handle, right? He did bless me. You're strong then. You were very strong. I was. I was. I still am. They're 11 now. We're approaching the teen years. And I'm like, oh man, we this could be almost as hard as those toddler years coming up here. Um, but so anyway, I, I spent the, the afternoons, the evenings doing the mom job with the, you know- bath time and bedtime and all the things that you do. And by the time I got him into bed at night, you know, if everything had gone according to my plan, which it didn't always, but if it did, I had like one hour maybe to myself before I had to get myself to bed so I could get up the next day and do it all over again. And all I wanted to do was sit down and relax because I'm exhausted because I've been going, going, going all day. But what I found myself doing more often than not during the hour was just picking up the stuff, you know, the shoes and the toys and the sippy cups and the papers, just I'm kind of shuffling everything around, shoving stuff back in bins. It was just absolutely exhausting. And all of this came to a head around Christmas time, the Christmas my kids were two, which would have been 2012. And we'd gone to visit the grandparents who, of course, when they see these beautiful toddlers and they live out of state, so they see the beautiful toddlers and we're just showered with gifts, you know, tons and tons of stuff. And I return home and I looked around the house and I'm like, you know, we don't even have room for the current stuff. And I don't know where I'm going to put the new stuff. And it felt very burdensome. And I knew that that wasn't the point of the gifts. The gifts were intended to make us feel joyful and blessed, but it just made us feel overwhelmed. And so I thought the answer was to buy a bigger house. I thought, well, that's the problem, right? That you got to upgrade to the next size house. And so I started thinking about that. And I had lunch with a friend of mine about a week after we got home from Christmas. And I was complaining to her about my problem of having too much stuff and not enough places to put it and saying, I think I'm just going to buy a bigger house. And my friend said, well, you could become a minimalist instead. And I thought minimalist, like minimalism. I didn't really understand exactly what she meant by that because this was pre the minimalists, pre Marie Kondo. But there were some bloggers out there and some writers who were writing about this idea. And so I started reading these books on the subject and I was just hooked on it. You know, it had never occurred to me that instead of just organizing everything better or buying a bigger house to fit more stuff in, you could just let go of the stuff you don't need. It was like this aha moment. It was so simple and I couldn't believe that I had never considered it, but I'd never considered it. And so I started just letting go. So the towels, for example, asking myself questions like, how many towels do we really need? We have all these towels. How many does our family need? And like actually getting down to what really served us. And so what happened was over the course of about eight months, I let go of about 70% of our stuff. And that's pretty dramatic. It's a pretty big number, but I'd say that's probably about right. Every weekend, I was probably making two or three drop-offs at the Goodwill. I was just this woman on a mission to get it out because as I let go of it, I felt more freedom in my life. And I think that's a really important thing for people to understand that this type of lifestyle is not about the aesthetics. It's not about, oh, look, I only have one pen and look at me, I'm so good. It's really about having more freedom to do what you want to do because what I started finding in my life were these pockets of time that I didn't have before. So that hour at the end of the day now, you know, I still have a very busy life. I was teaching full time. I had three two-year-olds, but now at the end of the day, I felt like I could sit down, I could read a book, I could drink a mug of tea and I could relax and I was at peace. And so as I started finding that, you know what, when I let go of the stuff, I get more of my life back, my free time back. It was just sort of this addictive thing. And I, I kept continuing to let go. And when I got to about eight months out, I sort of realized I'd addressed most of the areas in my life. And I'd also at that time, I'd started blogging about it because I was so excited about this and I wanted to share it with everybody. So I'd started a blog where I was sharing some of the things that I was doing. And then as a result of that, eventually that blog turned into a business where I started helping other people do the same thing. But that's really my journey. So no, I didn't start out as a naturally simplified person. It was a process that I went through. But once my eyes were opened to the freedom and possibility, it was like I couldn't not do it. I had to keep going. And now I still practice this in my life, but it's it's kind of leaked out into other areas like my time. You know, I've simplified my time. It's, it's moved into my finances, my health, relationships, commitments, 
you start to see that you can clutter all sorts of things in your life. It's not just your closets. You can clutter your schedule. You can clutter your relationships. You can clutter all sorts of things. And I come back to those principles of less is more every single time. And that's what I found in my life on this journey is that the less that I'm attached to, the less I have to worry about the more of myself and what really matters to me that I have at the end of the day. That's a lovely story. I, I'm just so, I'm I'm wanting to do the same thing for myself. And then I'm also like so happy to hear that. I think maybe it's like my teacher spirit. I was, you know, a former teacher as well. And teachers need wins. We need wins out here. Yes. <laughs> so it's so good. And then for you, just, I mean, my, it's funny because my wife and I have been touring some houses because our family's grown, you know, and, and, uh, we were looking at this house the other day and we, we were like, Oh, we really want to live here. And they had triplets. Oh wow! There were so many toys. <laughs> and I just thought, I thought, how could anyone do this? Like, I was like, I struggle to change a diaper and give my daughter a bath every day. It's like, I feel so exhausted. And I'm just thinking, just how did you do it? How did you change three poops and give three baths every day? I mean, it was. What is, how did you make it? You know, I don't really know. I feel like anything in life, when you are called upon to do more, you find that you have the strength to do more. You know, ask anybody who's been through like a really serious illness or almost even like a war type situation. Like you don't think you have reserves of strength. You've got reserves of strength. You just haven't tapped them yet. So you actually within you somewhere have the ability to take care of triplets. You just have not had to tap that reserve well of strength that's that's in you. But I really think in all humans, we have this, like looking back now, oh my gosh, like when I think of how my life used to be, I just, it's really hard to imagine going back to having three toddlers. I can't fathom it right now, but I lived through it. I did it. I survived. I was generally pretty happy. You know, we, we find that we do what we need to do when we have to do it. And it wasn't like there, for me, it wasn't an option to just like let one kid be dirty and hungry and and sitting in their own squalor. Like that's, I guess, an option, but not one that I was going to choose. So I was choosing the option of, okay, we're going to have clean diapers and everyone's going to have food and maybe not a bath every single day, but maybe every other day, every three days, we're going to get a bath and it's going to be good. Um, So yeah, that was really the way that I did it was I, I just found the strength within me. And, and sometimes when I think about things in my life that are hard or scary, like I'm going to launch a new program or, or, you know, I'm going to, you know, collaborate with somebody that I'm intimidated by. I sometimes have to check myself and be like, girl, you survived triplets. You, this is not nearly as scary as that. Like you should be scared of nothing because of what you've been through. And I think all of us have those things, like whatever we've gone through that was difficult, ultimately it makes us stronger. And when we face the scary things in life, we can kind of look back at those moments where we had to do something really risky, like you left your teaching career. I'm going to imagine that was terrifying and took a lot of courage for you to do that. So if you ever had to face triplets, which I hope you don't, because it's really not ideal, you have some courageous things in your past that you could rely on to help you if that ever happened to you. No, that's so true. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like when I think about it, I'm like, okay, when I was in my twenties or whatever, I, I moved to Buffalo, New York and I, I'm from California. So I, you know, I, sur- I, in my mind, I survived November, which was like the worst <laughs> storm. And I didn't have a car. So I was walking through the snow every day and carrying groceries home and slipping on the ice. And like, I did that for four years. So, I mean, that's not triplets, but for me, that was my triplets, you know, in a way it was like, yeah, it's good to look back. I think that's probably part of, um, you know, minimalism in its way is like really salivating and, and thinking about those experiences rather than just buying stuff or whatever, you know, buying an Instagram book of, even though those are cool, um, <laughs> you know, really like reflecting. But Rose, what, what I really want to know right now is how did you go from teaching, you know, from clocking in at seven and, 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 and clocking out at four for your next job to how did you make the transition to having your own business and, and then doing a Ted talk, which is so admirable. And I'd love to know, yeah, how did you make that leap? And when did you know it was time? 
So, you know, the way that I often tell the story is similar to how I told at the beginning, where I sort of like gloss over that whole huge, messy and, and frightening transition. But I'll tell you the real story. Um, not that that one was fake, but like the deeper story is I kind of got to a point in my career where I just knew I needed to do something different. It was this like palpable feeling that you have to change course. This is not actually the right course for you anymore. My kids at that time were about four years old. So I started the decluttering when they were about two, you know, fast forward two years. And I think what happened in retrospect, as I simplified my life, it's sort of like peeling back these layers and I started to feel the pull to do something else with my life. I think if I had continued in the clutter where that absorbed all my mental energy, I would have never had the clarity to leave my teaching career. So that's really how I see the two are connected, that the simplicity and the minimalism led me to the new career because it gave me some open space in my mind to think and dream about doing something different. But what happened was, I was like, okay, my kids are four and you don't have a four-year-old yet, it doesn't sound like, um, but four-year-olds are wonderful. They're so much fun. They're potty trained. They can feed themselves. There's a lot of great things about four-year-olds. And I was like, I, I really want to be more involved in their day-to-day -day life because coming home at four o'clock, you're getting the worst time of the day for kids. Like they're grumpy, they're hungry, they're tired. And so I thought, I really want some of the good time of the day that normally my babysitter was getting. I wasn't getting the good stuff. She's getting the good stuff. So I approached my job about doing a part-time teaching job, which I think now with COVID and virtual learning, people are much more open to this. But at the time, um, it was a really radical idea for my uh, principal and superintendent, but I had another teacher who wanted to do it with me and we created a schedule. My principal said yes. My assistant superintendent said yes. And he's like, yeah, I can get the superintendent to agree with this. No problem. So I start moving forward for several months with this belief that, okay, next school year, I'm going to have this awesome part-time position where I'm going to come in two and a half days a week. It'll give me two and a half days to do the mom thing. Got my kids in a preschool that would coincide with the times. And then it was spring break, right before spring break, it, it went across my superintendent's desk and he just completely vetoed the plan and said, no way, we don't do this here. We don't do this. And here I've, I, I have arranged my whole life with this expectation that next fall I'm going to have this part-time job. And I felt just crushed. I absolutely was crushed. And I'd imagined these days we're going to go apple picking and all this stuff I'm going to do with my kids. And suddenly it's like, no, you're either going to work full-time or you're not going to work for us at all. And so I remember all spring break, I had this like agonizing decision. Actually, every day I literally had a headache that would start about 10 in the morning and it would go till about three in the afternoon. It would just progressively get worse and then it would subside. And I'd never had anything like that happen to me. So my body is like reacting to this stress of having to make this decision. Like, do I step out of my career or do I, do I go in full time? And by the end of spring break, I said, you know what? I'm gone. I'm done. I don't really have a plan of what I'm going to do next, but I cannot go back with this feeling. I can't go back feeling like I've been robbed of something, like I'm a victim, like this isn't how I want to show up for my students. I was lucky in that my husband had a full-time job with benefits, so we didn't need my income or benefits to put food on, on the table and have the lights on. But I still was stepping out of the career that I'd you know, gone to college and I got in a graduate degree and all these things. And I have all these lesson plans and all the things you build as a teacher. But I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take, they let me take a childcare leave for a year. So I thought, okay, I'll take the childcare leave. So I still have a job if I want to come back after a year. So I took the leave and I was just at the time, and I'm still kind of this way. I don't sit still well. I always want to be doing something. And so when I left my teaching job, I ended up getting three jobs. So I started substitute teaching at my local school district where I live, not where I had been teaching. I started doing professional development workshops for teachers through Miami University in uh, Miami, Ohio, at Oxford, Ohio. And I started um, my business of going into people's homes as a professional organizer and helping them declutter their homes. So I started these three different jobs. It's sort of like a ragtag bag of income here that I would just sort of do whenever I wanted here and there. 
And what I found was every year that I was out of the classroom, so I didn't go back after the childcare leave was over, I would drop one of the jobs. So I dropped the substitute teaching after the first year. I dropped the professional development workshops after the second year. By my third year out from teaching, I was fully 100% committed to my business. And because I'd had those two years of sort of practicing and gaining clients and getting used to like, how do you advertise on social media? Like, how do you do this? How do you get people to get interested in your business? I'd had that time to sort of build that confidence. And it was sort of like I could take off the training wheels of the other jobs. And since then, I've been fully in my business. And I will tell you, though, continuing on with with the transition out of teaching, I got to the point where I had to renew my teaching license if I wanted to keep it. And I decided not to. And I said, no, I'm not going back to that career. Not that there's anything wrong or bad. And I'm so grateful for that career. But this is not the life that I want. I want this life where I'm doing this business that is very fulfilling to me. That is the thing that I have built that I love. And then I got to the point where I had all the teaching stuff in my attic, the tubs and tubs of the unit plans and the classroom library and the student examples, stuff you really can't easily replace. And this was just a couple years ago that I finally let go of all of it. Like I let go of every single piece of paper related to my teaching career because I said, I have to be 100% committed to this path. If I'm holding on to that teaching stuff, that's basically a symbol saying you're actually not committed to what you want to do. You're afraid that your business will fail. So you'll need to fall back on teaching. That was why I was keeping it all in case I had to go back. Not because I ever really wanted to. It was like, if you have to, and I said, you know what? If something ever happened, I want to be like, I can rely on my business. I can rely on the income that I make. So that was, that's the scariest thing I've ever had to declutter was my, were my teaching supplies. It was the most absolutely terrifying thing I've ever put in the trash. I felt like I was jumping off a cliff when I put those notebooks and binders into the trash, but I don't regret a single moment of it. So that's the story of how I transitioned out of teaching into having my own business. It wasn't like a night and day switch. I had training wheels as I sort of transitioned my way out. And the longer I was out and I got more confidence in myself as a business owner, I was able to let go of more pieces of my teaching life. And And the funny thing is now I do a lot of teaching. I teach classes and things, but it's online. I use all the skills I learned as a teacher. I'm so grateful for all those skills because they translate so well to what I do. I'm just doing them in a different arena now. Yeah, this is so relevant to to the audience that I'm I'm, you know, developing is that teachers have so many incredible skills and they don't necessarily know how to market them or even how they can be applied to different uh, fields or different, you know, how they can kind of enhance, take their teaching skills. They don't have to depend on that mean superintendent who's going to, you know, cross out all their good ideas. It sounds like, man, what a loss for the school district. I always say this to, you know, people when they tell me these stories, these really talented entrepreneurs like yourself who were working in these jobs and just asked for something a little different and their bosses could not afford it. And it's like, man, what a loss. You know, they really, they really... If he had said yes, you probably would still be there right now, you know, doing your part-time thing or maybe, maybe not, but, you know, at least for a longer period of time. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. So a few years after that happened, I did a speaking event for the Ohio Association of School Personnel Administrators. Okay. And the table that I was sat at, I was the, the keynote speaker for this event. I was sat at the table of my former employer. He was no longer working there, but the secretary who worked for him was there. Like they all knew who I was. And they actually said to me, we've always felt really bad about what happened to you um, because we know that it wasn't right. And I said, you know, I'm actually so grateful that he said no to that because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if he'd said yes. I was angry for a long time and I felt like I'd been robbed. But honestly, what a gift. I would have not stepped into this fully as I have, if I had maintained that part-time job, I probably would have done part-time till my kids were a little older than gone full-time again, but I'm so grateful. I really think that, you know, the, the doors that close in your life are actually the universe telling you like, there's a better way. There's something better. And the hard part for us is just to trust it. Cause all we see is the door closing and we feel the fear of the door closing, 
But I've seen it just happen in my life and the lives of people I know so much that when the door closes, that means there's something better that you're meant for. And so that's really the entrepreneur belief is like you're trusting yourself, you're trusting the process that everything is going to be okay and work out how it's supposed to work out. So even in that situation, it was it was so nice to be at that table and sort of get some closure on that sort of still little open wound of my past and realize like, no, I'm actually... They're happy for me. I'm happy for me. And the one woman, the secretary actually said, you know, after she heard me speak and we talked a little bit, she's like, I'm really glad that he said no. I'm like, I am too. So you you created this scaffolded system for yourself where you had the substitute teaching. You also had, you know, working, uh, sorry, was it was it the college? Yeah, it's everybody? a professional development workshop. So it was for teachers, teaching teachers how to teach writing to their students. That's what I was doing, yeah. So you had that and then you had the organization projects, but it sounds like the organization projects was really where your heart was moving towards and what you wanted to be in. How did you get your first clients for that? So I remember I was substitute teaching one day at the local high school and I had my laptop with me and I emailed like five people who had at one point in time expressed interest in learning more from me. So I had had my blog by then for about two years. So I'm publishing this blog about decluttering and organizing. And so, you know, you've got like a a minimal at a minimal number of followers, but I had some followers and people in my community. I'd had people specifically say to me, hey, if you ever make this a business, give me a call. Just let me know how much you charge. So I had enough people kind of say that to me that I said, okay, now I'm going to reach out to them. And so I sent about five emails telling people that, hey, you know, I'm doing this and I'm looking for some clients and some experience. If you or anyone you know would be interested, let me know. I think I heard back from two people from those five emails. And one of them wanted to hire me as a gift to a friend of hers who had just had a surgery. So a friend of hers had just gone through surgery and needed some help organizing and decluttering the home. And so she bought a three-hour gift certificate. I remember making the gift certificate on Google Docs. I had no logo. I had no branding. And I just like printed it off on my printer and wrapped it up in a piece of colorful tissue paper and like dropped it off at her house. You know, she paid me with a check, like all these things that now it's just so funny to think about, but that's where I started. And so that was my very first client was as a gift helping this woman who had gone through surgery. Well, she then hired me to come back and help her more. So she rehired me. And then she referred me to her mother-in-law. So her mother-in-law hired me. And then it just kind of built from there. So the initial clients were personal outreach, which it's funny to say, but that's still how I get my best clients. I'm still sending personal emails, personal messages, following up with people. Oh, you said you were interested. Would you like to get on a call? Like the the um, personal messaging and the personal outreach is, is still the best way to get clients. But that was, and I didn't know that I was doing the best outreach at that time, but that really was the best way. Like reach out personally to people, you know, the no like, and trust factor is already there. So you don't have to overcome that and you get some experience and then it can just kind of build from there. Yeah, I like that that phrase, know, like, and trust. Like people buy from people they know, like, and trust. So it's uh it's important to tap into that. So you're you were growing your your organization business and just figuring it out step by step. What was the next stage for you? Like, I guess I want to know how did you get from there to the TED Talk, you know, the half a million views on on the TED Talk. I'd love to know, like, I'm sure there's a lot, you know, from there to there, but talk walk us through kind of the steps that um you 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 went through. Yeah. So I started off doing the in-home professional organizing and, you know, I'm doing this a few days a week and it's, it's building and I'm getting more people and, you know, you kind of start raising your prices. One of the things that really changed things for me was when I wrote my book in 2017. So I worked with a publisher who works with business owners to help them write a book. So technically my book is self-published, even though I had a publisher help me of sorts, it's sort of this hybrid model of publishing. So when my book came out, um, the publisher, the woman I worked with, she is actually a bit of a coach, a marketing coach. And so she said to me, all right, you've got this book now. It's on Amazon. People anywhere can read it. And I remember she said, so let's imagine that someone in Colorado reads your book. They're going to hire a professional organizer in Colorado. How does that help you? And I was like, oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, I get whatever I get for them buying the book, but I don't actually get anything, any other benefit from it. And she said, you need to start 
offering online classes. You need to, now is the time. You've got a book that can reach anyone anywhere in the world. You need to find a way to provide service to anyone anywhere in the world. And this really freaked me out because I am not tech savvy, especially back then. I could hardly publish my blog. I was not comfortable online. And the idea of teaching an online class and like trying to take money, like prior to that, I'd only ever taken money when someone gave me a physical check or cash. I had no idea how to receive funds from someone through the internet. And it was really scary for me, but I'm kind of one of those overachiever type A people. I was like, all right, if she said, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And um, so I found someone to help me set up the payment gateway. And I did my very first less method class through Facebook Live. I just did Facebook Live videos inside a private Facebook group. And that was what the class was. And that was back in 2017. So my book came out in October, September, October of 2017. And my first Less Method course started in October of 2017. And since then I've run it, um, I've started doing it three times a year, but at first I just did it twice a year, every year. And um, so I, I started getting a broader reach. Like as soon as you offer something that people can buy outside your regional area, your business can grow and scale. Like when I was limited to just what I could do in Dayton, the only way to grow my business living in Dayton and doing in-home professional organizing was to hire a team of people to work for me. And I just wasn't called to build that kind of business. I didn't want to have a team of people that I trained to go into people's homes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all the insurance and all the stuff that I'd have to do with that. So the way that I could grow and scale my business was now to reach, you know, more people at the same time, but to do it online. So that was kind of like the class started, but I'm still, most of my income is still coming from in-home professional organizing that I'm doing myself one-on-one with my clients. And just kind of as the years went on, I started to get more of that following from the people taking the class. I started to have people from like other states taking the class and things just sort of start to spread in that way. And then Dayton does a TEDx every year. And I had a couple clients who said, hey, you really should audition for this. You should try out for this. So I had probably two people, two or three people the year that I auditioned send me emails or mention to me, hey, this would be great for you. You should do it. And so I was like, all right, well, let me check it out and see what I have to do. So I went online, I filled out the application and then they called, you know, they choose from the applications who they want to audition and I auditioned and then I I got it. So, but I think that it was a result of me like starting to grow the business. So then I did the TEDx in 2018, I guess that would have been just a year after my book came out. And so, and at first, you know, TEDx, you don't really know if it's going to be popular or not. But for whatever reason, around January of that year, so it comes out in 2018, about January of 2019, it kind of starts this little viral loop of sorts, like not truly viral, like it's not like millions of views, but every day you would see the views jump by like 10, 20,000 people. So people are watching it and like it's sort of getting cycled through YouTube, however they figure all of that out. My husband really enjoyed watching the watching the viewings go up and up and up. So again, it was just a result of, of my business growing, reaching more people. I hear from some people, hey, you should try this out. And it resonated with me. I said, yeah, I'll try it out. And I auditioned and, and I made it. And the obviously the message was one that people wanted to hear because now what happens is people will approach me because they saw the TEDx. I'll say, oh, we saw your TEDx. We'd love for you to speak here or we'd love to have you come in. And so it kind of becomes this other thing that you can say like, hey, I've done this. And people liked the message and it, it changed people's thoughts on this idea of clutter and stuff. So, you know, then after the TEDx, um, the next big like, monumental point in the journey was COVID, which is relatively recent because even up to that point, so like the online business is starting to ramp up, but I still have this fear of letting go of the in-home work. Like it's the thing that's always paid the bills, that's kept the lights on in the business. And it's like, and, and I find myself kind of back in that same place of where I had to let go of my teaching career. It's like, I have to let go of going to people's homes for three or four hours at a time and working with them side by side. And that was terrifying. And there were several times that I tried to do it. And then I would backtrack and I would go back to doing it because it was so easy for me to do. People would call me and want me to do it. I didn't even hardly have to advertise it. And then I'm like, but I know the only way to really grow my business is to be 100% 
online. And so when COVID hit last March, it was like, well, you can't go to anyone's home. And so I created completely online virtual coaching packages. And at the time I could say, well, this is because of COVID, but I knew that I was never going to go back to doing my business the old way, that this was like the perfect excuse to finally, for once and for all, cut off in-home professional organizing and become a 100% online entrepreneur. A far cry from that first online class where I'm just running the class through a Facebook group and that's it. Um, Because now I had all these different things that I knew how to do. I had scheduling software. I knew how to do all these things that I'd slowly built up the skills in the prior few years. And so now my business is only an online business, which if you had told me five years ago that I'd be running an online business, I would have laughed at you. I would have not thought it was possible for me to run an online business. I wouldn't have even really known how you make money doing an online business. I had no idea how to do any of that. But just like anything, as teachers know, like so many things are simply learned skills. Learning how to be an online entrepreneur is a learned skill. Anyone can learn it. The information is available. You just have to believe in yourself that you can do it and then be willing to seek out the resources, the coaching or classes, whatever you need to take to learn how to do it. And I did. So so I hope that fills in some of the gaps there from how I got to the TEDx talk and then how even for me beyond that was becoming a completely online business owner. Tell me more about the um, coach that you had in writing the book, because I think that's something, well, it sounds like the blog came first. And so you were already producing content around this journey of of simplifying and organizing. Um, One thing that I think I'm wondering about, and I think other people are wondering about too, is people know they have really solid skills, you know, or they teachers, they know like, I'm really good at teaching reading, or "I, I know how to teach using Google Calendar. How did you decide on the content that you were going to put out there first for the blog, but then for the book? Was that like a part of the coaching process or did you know in your mind, like, this is what's going to sell? I'd love to hear more about knowing what to put out there to create an audience. So with my blog, I did absolutely none of the type of thinking that you're supposed to do to put content out. Like you're supposed to think about who's my ideal client? What is their problem? What could I help them do? I thought of none of that. When I started my blog, it was a hobby blog. I was just writing for myself. So, hey, guess what today? I decluttered my towels. Here's some before and after pictures, and here's what I learned. And and so my early blog posts are very much in the voice of a personal journey. Like, here's me doing this. Now, here's me doing that. It all revolved around simplicity, but I was talking about decluttering my own house but I could only do that for so long because at a certain point you've decluttered pretty much everything you can declutter out of your house and there's nothing really left to talk about. So when I got to the point of working with clients, what I started doing was my blog just became writing about what they, what I was doing for them. So now my blog was about, okay, I worked with, you know, Susie Q and we were decluttering her pantry. And if Susie Q gave me permission to take before and after pictures and post them on the blog, I would use those. And so again, now I'm moving kind of from, this is me doing it for myself to now I'm doing this for other people. And I think the thing in my particular industry that's helpful is that there is like the before and after transformation, which people love, right? People love to see the before. That's why HGTV is so popular. Those home improvement shows are so satisfying because you see the before, you see the after, and it's like, wow, it's really satisfying. And so I started writing about what I was doing with my clients. And, And at that point, though, I've got a little bit more of a business hat on. And I'm thinking, okay, if I write about what I'm doing for these clients, the people reading start thinking, well, maybe she could do that for me. She's doing this for other people. She could do it for me. So I start to realize like, hey, this blog is actually a marketing tool, whereas it did not start off as a marketing tool. It was purely just me sharing my experience. So it kind of moves into marketing, but I'm still, I love the writing. I was a writing teacher. So I love writing it. I love sharing. And, you know, I'm giving it out for free to everybody on my email list every week. And then when the book opportunity came around, the coach who I worked with, she was the first one who really said, hey, you need to think about who your audience is and what they need. And that was, you know, I'd been running my business for uh, several years at that time, two or three years, never really thinking about my audience and what they needed, which as a writing teacher, you should think about your audience. Like I knew that that's what I would tell my students to do is think about their audience, but I usually didn't. I was writing for me and kind of entertaining myself. And so we kind of nailed down that the audience for my book would be mostly women 
like myself, busy moms, kind of in that like child raising stage of life. They've got work, they've got kids, they've got stuff. And so I'm putting them um, front and center and taking them through the journey of, first of all, the emotions of why you need to do this and then how you do it. So the first half of my book is sort of an argument for why minimalism, why it matters. And then the second half is when I get into the less method and I teach people exactly how. Now, interestingly enough, I didn't have my less method until I wrote my book. So prior to that, when I was working with clients, I was using a different method that I'd read from someone else's book. And I thought, well, when I write my own book, I have to have my own way. And so I kind of thought about what I did with my clients and, okay, we lay out a vision and a purpose. Then we empty everything out. We sort it in these two ways and then we systemize it. And I was like, L-E-S-S. It took me like a long time to actually condense it down to those four steps. Now it's hard for me to remember that Originally, when I was decluttering with people, I didn't think about those steps, but now I I teach that. The book helped me um, package it into like a four-step formula. So then the book becomes, you know, here's the formula. Here's how you do it. Here's how you could apply it to your bathroom, your clothing, your makeup, whatever, all your different stuff. And so that was what that content was. And I continued to pretty much write for that audience, you know. I think we we teach what we need to learn, and often the people who are going to learn from us the most are the people who are a lot like us. Because what I learned, I found I resonated best with women of my own age. Now, what's interesting is as my business has gone along, I found that I actually really have kind of two audiences. I call them the moms and their moms. So I have the women my age who are raising kids and working, and then I have their moms who are downsizing empty nesters who are trying to like offload all the kids' stuff in the house they've lived in for 40 years and move into a smaller home, maybe in a warmer climate. And so it's interesting. I'm like, okay, the moms and their moms are typically my audience. I do have a few men who, you know, absorb my content and are interested in it. Yes, you are one of them. Thank you, Sean. But um, typically my audience has been female. And I think for me, though, that was actually a great barrier to me in my speaking career because typically when you're asked to be a speaker, you're not speaking to just women, you're speaking to a mixed audience or speaking to a corporate audience. You're going to obviously have men and women. And so I sort of had to get over this idea that my message was just for women. My message is for everyone. And as I started to speak to more men and they were saying, man, this is so helpful. My office is so organized. You know, it feels so good in my closet where I can see all my stuff. I'm like, okay, this is for men too. This is really for everybody. But when I started, I had a much more niche audience. And I think too, as I've evolved, kind of, as I said at the beginning, where I started off just talking about stuff and decluttering towels and shoes and that kind of thing. But as I have evolved and I've started to simplify time, finances, relationships, these more uh, less visible, less tangible aspects of our lives that still need simplification. I've started writing about that too. And then the responses I get are so different. So a lot of my writing now, you kind of see the mix of like, there's talking about stuff, but then there's talking about time, a little bit of productivity, but also almost like spirituality, mindfulness, and all these different things that are sort of the other aspects of simplicity that I, I couldn't really address or didn't really address when I started my business. So it's a long answer to your question, but I think your content kind of reflects where you are in your own personal journey. And I would advise people to think about the people they're trying to reach and what their needs are. And also, if you have any access to those people, talking to them. You know, if you're... Your audience are parents of kids with autism. Well, find parents of kids with autism and ask them what they need. What are they struggling with? What would be helpful to them? And then you write that down and boom, boom, boom. You've got 10 blog posts or 10 YouTube videos or 10 Instagram posts that you can now create to serve that audience. So that's what I would advise your listeners to do if they're not sure what content to put out there. Just talk to the people that you feel called to serve and they will tell you. They'll tell you loud and clear what they need. Yeah, that's such simple but great advice, right? Talk to the people who you want to serve. And I like how you say called to serve. Um, I'm wondering, how do you gain clarity on that? Like I had another guest, Kat Norton. She created this Excel um, course and she does these little like 15 second uh, TikTok videos where she show, she dances and shows people how to use 
um, Excel. And she, she has 400,000 followers now and is, you know, is traveling to Hawaii and different places and just selling her course and helping people out with it. But it was so interesting because she talked about to get to this point where she knew what she was offering. She had to do a lot of work around, you know, her energy and, you know, meditation and her inner child and un- unlearning certain things about herself that she had maybe incorporated because of an experience. And I'm wondering, like, how do you, you know, and you talked about some spirituality in this work and kind of decluttering, how do you um, kind of identify who you're called to serve and be in tune with that part of yourself, like that calling, and then also what your message needs to be like, how do you, you know, cause like, as we talked about before, it's really hard with all the, the day-to-day challenges. What's your process for kind of staying in touch with that deeper part of yourself and, and the vision for what your life should be? Yeah, that's a really important question because it is so easy to just get lost in the day-to-day. And when I think back to my story, that's kind of where I was. I mean, I had a super busy life and I was very much lost in the day-to-day. I didn't think about my dreams and my goals when I'm trying to teach middle school all day and take care of three toddlers. Like there was just no way. There was no space. And so as I've gone through my journey of developing my business, I've realized that the inner work on yourself is equally as important, if not more important than the outer work of marketing, blogging, making videos and all of that. Like you have to kind of open the door to what is really true for you. And so some of the things that I do, I practice a gratitude journal. I've started doing that about a year ago, and that's made a big difference for me where every day, pretty much every day, and I skipped some days, we got a new puppy and I skipped about two weeks because I just, again, like life threw something at me that I, I couldn't keep up with my habit for a while, but I got back into it. You know, every day I write in the morning, five things I'm grateful for. And then at night, five more things I'm grateful for. And what it does is when we think about gratitude, I think it, it puts us in touch with what really matters to us. Because something that you're grateful for is something that really matters. So if you're writing down things about, you know, I'm grateful for reading to my kids. I'm grateful for the meal that my husband cooked. I'm grateful for taking my dog for a walk. And those are the things that I think most of us write. It's the simple stuff. It's not, nobody's like, I'm so grateful that I got my inbox to zero today. You know, we're grateful for like the simple everyday pleasures. And I think when we practice gratitude, at least for me, it puts me in the mindset of being connected to what's important to me. And I think if you're going to be a business owner, you have to be connected to yourself in order to know where you want to go. And I think the more connected I am with myself, the more I'm able to trust that where I'm going is the right path. Because you're always, this is where it's really different than being a teacher or working for someone else. You're always stepping further into the cave, into the dark, You're always taking another step into the unknown when you're a business owner. When you work for someone else, or especially in a job like teaching, you see the 30-year career path, like, okay, I'm going to teach this, I'm going to teach that, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to have the pension. You can see the path because other people before you have blazed the path. It's, It's pretty clear. And then when you're doing something on your own, you're walking step by step into a dark cave. And the only thing you have, maybe if we want to keep this metaphor going, is like the flashlight that's going to illuminate it is knowing yourself and being in touch with yourself. And that's going to give you a little bit of light because if you know yourself and are in touch with yourself, you can kind of see the next step. There's no way you can see all the steps. And actually, instead of that being scary, that can be exciting because who knows, how would I have known that I would do a TEDx talk or how would I have known that I'd be an online business owner? I couldn't have imagined that, right? But because I was willing to take the steps forward in trust, complete trust, that's how these great things are able to happen. So, so knowing yourself. So I do some meditation. I do, you know, just some quiet stillness. You know, one of the books that I read early on that now in hindsight, you know, you can connect all the dots when you look back. I remember when I uh, was teaching. And so I had taken two years off when the kids were born just to survive triplet babyhood. But when they were two was when I went back to teaching. And so that was when the craziness really started. And I remember I was so anxious that I couldn't sleep at night. I'd actually gone to my doctor and gotten sleeping pills because I'm like, I can't slow my brain down enough to sleep. And I got to wake up at five in the morning to get to work and I'm exhausted. And so he gave me these sleeping pills. 
And I also thought, well, you know, because I didn't want to take the sleeping pills all the time. I thought if I just read a really boring book at night, it'll put me to sleep and then I'll be able to sleep and, and get up in the morning without having to take the medicine. And so I started reading this book that a friend had given me like a year before that I had never finished because I found it so weird and boring. And it was called A New Earth by a man named Eckhart Tolle. And so I start reading it and I was like, oh my gosh. Like he's talking about living our lives in the present moment. And I remember, I, I was even just thinking of this today. I still, I have his two, his two books on my bookshelf and I don't have a lot of books um, talking about your life's purpose. And so he kind of does these like back and forth questions just in writing. And someone would say, you know, what is my life's purpose? And his answer is your life's purpose is to be talking to me right now. And so it's like putting ourselves in the present moment and realizing that everything we need is in the present moment. And I read that book and it just gave me so much peace and it helped me sleep. But I also I also started meditating for the first time after reading his book because he talked about this thing called the inner body. Like we have our body and then we have our inner body. And he said, you can feel it. And I was like, what? What the heck? This is crazy talk. And so he talked about, I remember him describing like, like sit down and feel your hands, but he's like, not, not like touching your hands, but feel the energy in your hands. And so I would sit and I'd be like, feel the, and like, you kind of almost feel your hands for me anyway. It's like the hands inside. I feel like the energy. And then I could like, feel it like in the rest of my body. I'd be like, okay, feel my chest. And I started to feel the energy of my body which sounds crazy, but it's true. And like, I can now, and so I started before work, I would get up, I got so like addicted to this awesome feeling. I felt as if I was plugging into like a current, like that underneath my life, there was this like river of current. And when I would sit down and I would like feel my body, it's like, like I plugged into it and it was like powerful and awesome and calming. And so, and it's from this weird, as you can tell, this is a weird book. And so I start reading it. I'm like, this is just mind blowing. And so really, if I had to say where my simplicity journey started, it started there well before I decluttered anything because I started opening up to like knowing myself and being able to sit down and be calm and present with myself. And I'll tell you, I can remember like being at work and I felt like a Jedi master. Like when I was reading his book and practicing that morning meditation, I was just like zoned in with whoever was in front of me, whatever student, no matter what was going on, I was like in the zone, you know, intermittently. I wasn't like, you know, super Buddha or anything. But it changed the way that I realized I could access a part of myself that I'd never, ever accessed before. Like prior to that, all my experience with anything spiritual was I was raised in the church, good Midwestern folk. You know, you go to church and that's where God is, right? In the church, that's where everything happens. You got to be in the pew on your knees saying your prayers. And I never had experienced that as like an internal experience that was within me all the time. And so... Again, I feel like I'm giving a lot of long answers to your questions, but I think if you want to know what your purpose is, what you put out there, who you serve, you must know yourself first. And the only way we can know ourselves is finding a way to get still, to get quiet, to think about ourselves and to focus in on ourselves. And that could be meditation, that could be yoga, that could be gratitude practice, it could be going for walks in nature. I really think if people think about what makes them feel good, like what makes you feel good? You enjoy reading, do you enjoy dancing, making music, cooking? Like think about the things that you feel good doing do more of those things because that's you getting in touch with yourself. And once you're in touch with yourself, you will just naturally reach people. You don't have to have some big convoluted marketing strategy. If you know yourself and you trust yourself, everything that comes out of you is going to be honest and true. And people recognize that. Because one thing I've noticed like with my writing, um, I can write blog posts. Like I could write you a blog post called like five easy ways to declutter your home. No problem. It's a really easy blog post to write. I could give all sorts of tips. And nobody really responds to those posts. Like I, I do write posts like that and I, I get some responses, but not a lot. But when I write ones where I'm like vulnerable, where I share like personal things that kind of scare me, 
I can't tell you the amount of response that I get from it. It's when I'm willing to put myself vulnerably out to my audience that I reach them. So you cannot reach people if you're not in touch with yourself. And so that would be my advice to people listening is find ways to get in touch with yourself. You will get in touch with yourself through doing the things that you find joy in and or reading Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, which may or may not rock your world. <laughs> I was talking, telling you about this guest, Kat, and that's kind of how we got in this conversation was she talked about the importance of being in touch with yourself like you're sharing. And she said, you need to be in touch with expanders or you need to be talking to people around you that expand your reality, not minimize it, right? And it's like, and like, that's what what's happening right now. Like, I feel like every day, and that's why I love doing this podcast. So I'm going to put my universal wish out there. I want to do this more. Um, <laughs> is that... Uh, is that I just love hearing people's stories of how they woke themselves up in a way. You know, it's like you can go for years, right? Just kind of like trudging along. And yeah, of course, it, it wasn't like you were given this reality. You had to cultivate it and you had to keep waking yourself up. And the answers aren't going to be there right away. And there's no perfect marketing strategy, right? It's that you have to keep waking yourself up and realizing what lights you up. And keep like kind of hearing the universe and moving towards the like the people like you said you're called to serve and and figuring out what they need so you can serve them more and be clever along the way right take those before and after pictures but there's no perfect answer is what I, I feel like I'm taking away but you can keep waking up and that's important um, I love that so thank you for yeah <laughs> well I love that you use the term like waking yourself up. Because it is a deliberate act that we take upon ourselves. I think for some people, it happens through an external situation. Um, actually, my second book that I'm writing right now, I tell the story of my great-grandfather who was a coal miner. And he one day woke up and he couldn't go into the coal mine. And my, my great-grandfather was not known to be like a great guy. He beat his wife, like, you know, this rough guy, immigrant. And um, he couldn't go into the coal mine because he had a cold he, and he didn't usually skip work because he had like a growing family to feed. And so he couldn't go to the coal mine that day. Well, there was a mine explosion that day and like dozens of men died in the coal mine where he would have been. And after that day, he became like the most joyful man. Like my family tells a story of him, like he'd hold up a glass of water and say, thank you, God, for this water. Thank you for this water. And I just think, man, he was woken up by a really traumatic thing that happened externally to him. I should hope for all of us that something like that doesn't have to happen to us to wake us up. We can wake ourselves up in the same way through practicing things that bring joy to us, through noticing gratitude, through practicing gratitude. But I do think sometimes it happens to people where it's like, like life wakes you up. And it's interesting how it can happen for different people. But I like that idea of just, we continually wake ourselves up and there's always more to wake up inside ourselves. And I think that's, that's the thing. Like there's this endless journey. Like I think, okay, five years from now, what will I know about myself that I don't know now? And I'm sure that there is more out there. What will I be experiencing then that I just can't experience now? Cause I'm not at the point yet to be able to receive it, to be able to experience it. So I just wanted to share that story of my great grandpa, because I think when we think of life waking us up, I think sometimes we think about only those tragic, traumatic external experiences where you see someone's life change in an instant. Um, but for many of us, it's not like that. It's gradual and slow and steady and almost like fits and starts and sort of stumbling awkwardly through the dark but it can have the same life-changing effect on our, our lives. It's like you saw this little thread of light, I guess, you know, you were, you were like, I want to get rid of some stuff, you know? And that was kind of your, your light in the dark in the cave, right? It was like, I can clean my little reality up, you know? And then you just kept following it. And then it like opened up into Kind of like the cave was actually a tunnel to like a better reality, you know. <laughs> I love it. I love a metaphor. Yeah. Yes. So, so it's like it's like, but I'm just thinking, you know, to to kind of help people out there frame it. It's that you have to follow the things that give you joy, 
you know, and are also in service of yourself, but then eventually others. Like you said, be the teacher you needed, I think was the phrasing you used. And then it will keep opening up, right? Like, and you'll have to make tough choices. Like you had to leave your job. You had to let go of substitute teaching and teaching at the college. But if you keep following it and, you know, allowing yourself to, to be on that journey, um, it can really open up into a, a new earth. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is not sponsored by Eckhart Tolle, but it certainly could be. <laughs> is he still around? Shout out, shout out to Eckhart. Thank you for, <laughs> for, for everything. So, okay. I, I know, I know you've probably got to run soon. So a couple questions. This is like totally uh, 180, but what tools help you manage your reality effectively? Like I use Trello and now I use Tutorbird to manage my tutoring business, but like what tools have been fundamental for you to manage all the growth and changes in your life? Yeah. So I also used Trello for a long time. I just recently switched to Asana, which I'm really liking because I have an assistant now and I'm able to communicate with her much more effectively using Asana than than Trello. Um, So that's my kind of project management and my team management because I have a team member. I use a book like a boss, which is scheduling software. So if any of your listeners are going to be scheduling sessions like coaching sessions or tutoring sessions, you need some type of scheduling software. So book like a boss has worked really well for me. It also allows me to take payment, which I like. So I can create programs, people can pay me and then they can schedule themselves, which is wonderful. And it syncs to my Google calendar, sends them automatic reminders, like all the wonderful things. Like when I first started my business, I used to every Friday. Oh, this is so painful. I can remember sending copy and pasting templated reminder emails to all of my clients for the following week. Avoid that. Get yourself some scheduling software. There's Calendly, Acuity, different ones. Um, Other tools that I use uh, for my my course, it's hosted on Teachable. Even though I teach my course live, um, because I found that that's more accountable for people, i put the replays up on Teachable. So Teachable is great. Thinkific is their competitor and they're very similar from what I've heard and relatively affordable. I I found the price to be very affordable for me. Uh, What else do I use? Active campaign for my email. So you'll need, you know, one thing that I have learned is if you're going to have an online business, you've got to have an email list of some kind. You've got to reach your people and everybody checks their email, but not everybody looks at Facebook every day. So I know there are people who build their businesses on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and TikTok, but I have personally found that if you have an email list, like you're always going to be able to reach your people because if Facebook or Instagram or TikTok decide to kick you off or they, you know, self-destruct overnight, you still have a way to contact your people. So active campaign is what I use. I used to use MailChimp, which worked really well for me. Um, I think they have some new features now because they had some features that they didn't have some features that I needed. So I switched to active campaign a while ago. Uh, what else? I use uh, Square. For taking payments and Square connects to Book Like a Boss. So everything can go right through there. Zoom, of course, right? Because we're all using Zoom. Uh, those those might be like the main, the main things that I use uh, in terms of software and tools. I know that there are more deposit photos uh, for stock photos. So if you are doing a business, that was the thing I didn't know about was that you, I didn't even know you could buy stock photos online. I was like, where does everybody get these beautiful photos? Well, you pay for them (laughs) using a site like stock photo, like deposit photos and um, Canva. Learning how to use Canva is a pretty good thing. It's basically graphic design software for free. Uh, There is a paid version, but I used the free version for years and years. And that is wonderful. You can create really beautiful images on Canva that look like you hired a designer. So those would be some of the main ones. Um, hopefully that's not too overwhelming of a list for anybody. Last question before we jump into the hot seat, if you're up for it, what is the biggest challenge you're facing right now in your business? The biggest challenge that I'm facing right now in my business is having the guts to raise my prices. It's scary every time. When I started working as a in-home professional organizer, I charged $25 an hour which is rather pitiful in the, the in retrospect. I'm like, what was I doing charging $25 an hour? Obviously I'm charging a lot more than that now for my online coaching, but I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I need to raise the price of my course. I need to raise the price of my coaching. 
And every time I do that, I have to sort of like face some of the gremlins of like, nobody's going to pay for that. How can you raise your prices? You just raised them last year. And, and that's just me talking to myself. So again, that's where you kind of come back to knowing yourself and, and processing through because I need to raise my prices. And so that's the, the biggest thing I'm facing right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I saw on someone's website recently, they put like, I, all my prices increased by 10% every January. And I was like, oh, that's a cool, uh, you know, blanket statement. Um, I, I adjusted it a little bit for my website, but I just thought that was a cool, like a way to approach it. But yeah, yeah, it's tough, right? It's tough to, to, to know your own value, but you're worth it. Thank you. I'm affirming you right now. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Um, yes. So I, I got a few rapid fire questions for you. Are you up for the hot seat? I'm up for the hot seat. All right. So Apple or Android? Android now. Favorite book? To Kill a Mockingbird. Favorite movie? Uh, Talladega Nights, The Legend of Ricky Bobby. App you couldn't live without? Google Tasks. I love that you can move them to the calendar. I've, I've been showing oh, everybody that. It's the best. It's the best. So cool. You did a good job with that one. Best album? I would have to go back to like my high school experience and I would say Jules Pieces of You was like a transformational album for me when I was like 16. Got to check it out. Best Amazon purchase in the last six months? We bought my daughter a bald cap for her to compete in a dog and owner costume contest because she was, it was celebrity themed and she was going as Jeff Bezos and our dog Rudy was an Amazon box. <laughs> so the bald cap purchase. From that Jeff is Bezos amazing. Yeah. Self-care activity of choice. Long walks with my dog. What's your dog's name? Rudy. If you want to share. Rudy, okay. <laughs> like it. Everyone, everyone gives their dog some creative name, so I just had to know. Uh, best TV show. The, I don't watch a lot of TV now, but my favorite TV show of all time was Deadwood. That was on HBO for two seasons. I still will say that's the best TV show I've ever seen. It was awesome. And, and I'm still a little angry at the way it ended. I do not have closure from the ending and they only did two seasons and it's been many years, but Deadwood would be my favorite. I would like to see that. I got HBO, so I'll, I will check that out. If a book was written about your life, what would the title be? She's trying her best. Love it. <laughs> Rose, I am so grateful for your, for your time today. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was a blast. I, I really appreciated speaking with you. If people want to learn more about what you're doing, uh, where can they go to find out more? So the best place to find me would be my website. It is roselounsberry.com. That's R-O-S-E-L-O-U-N-S-B-U-R-Y.com. And from there, you can find links to all my social media. I'm also active on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I use the handle at Rose Lounsbury in pretty much all of those places. Can you do one thing for us? Open that Apple Podcasts app on your phone. In the bottom right corner, click search, tap in earn more tutoring and scroll all the way to the bottom to leave a rating and review. Our goal is to get 50 ratings and review and we are almost there and you can help. And are you interested in helping your education business grow? Then visit earnmoretutoring.com slash coaching. This show is written by Sean McCormick. The show is produced by Casey Sticker and Sean McCormick. Music production is by Casey Sticker. Project management is done by Maya Pugach. To learn more, go to earnmoretutoring.com.